and welcome to The Pot of Gold, where we talk all things precious metals and their markets. Today, we discuss how gold's recent price drop is a reflection of higher for longer, why the Aussie dollar is being weighed down, and what does this mean for the markets going forward now that we accept a higher rate environment. I'm your host, Shay Russell, and joining me today is ABC Refinery's Global Head of Institutional Markets, Nick Frappel. Nick, how are you, mate? Yeah, extremely good, thanks. Exciting times on the market and uh, pretty well. Yeah, listen, I I like that you've called a 5% fall in gold, exciting times. But before we get to what's happening with gold, uh, I believe there is a correction in order. Uh, Nick, what is this about a crawling peg that you would like to say? Well, you were so excited about the crawling peg, but actually it's not really a great description of the uh, <laughs> the Chinese yuan versus the dollar. Um, it's a lot more complicated than that. But anyway, it's a, it's, it's a peg, um, but even there a slightly ambiguous one uh, where lots of people have said, well, it's kind of pegged against a basket when it suits and it's pegged against the dollar when it suits. Um, but it isn't strictly a crawling peg, so I just got carried away. So apologies. Uh, not always... Uh, um, I'm far from infallible. I, w- I refuse to believe that. Uh, now, for everybody listening, we did close our last podcast off talking about uh, a crawling peg, and this is what brings it today. Um, I refuse to believe. I I actually really like the definition of a crawling peg because from a layman's point of view, like obviously there is a complicated explanation behind it, but from a layman's point of view, you can grasp the concept easily. Yes. So are we nitpicking about what the meaning actually is here? Kind of. <laughs> or, you or did we get some feedback that you really needed to be a bit more thorough on your explanation? No, no feedback, but I, but uh, you know, you know, we always welcome feedback. So uh, you know, we do always welcome feedback. We love to hear from our listeners. We just didn't have feedback on that particular issue. <laughs> okay, very good. All right, everybody, let's kick off with today's podcast. And now that the minor correction from last um, last podcast is over, let's talk about what is happening with gold. And, you know, I often like to make jokes about gold, uh, Nick. You know, very rarely does gold go up in a straight line, but gold can frequently go down in a straight line. And this is pretty much what we've seen over the past seven days. Isn't it down like 5.5%? It's dropped from firmly in the 1900s to now well into the 1800s. For an ineloquent way of putting it, Nick, what gives? Well, actually, to be fair on the chart, Gold looks a lot more like silver right now. Um, <laughs> that kind of you know Bombay, Bombay doors opened. Uh, so yeah, so I guess um, in in out of out of sequence, what I'd say is is this is what higher for longer looks like, and it's not just a gold thing. It's not just a silver thing. Although silver that actually it took a scorching uh, descent as well. Uh, it's copper and it's a bunch of other things and Asian um, and other emerging market equities are um, significantly under pressure as well. Uh, for for broadly similar reasons, um, and look, the the this is higher for longer nominal terms, and also the impact of rising real rates. Uh, so so far, anyway, gold dropped about one hundred and thirty two bucks uh, from the U.S. dollars from the high of uh, September the twentieth, and that date marks when the U.S. ten year tip yields broke out of a more or less sideways trading pattern and moved from about one ninety four twenty two uh, to two thirty four. And subsequently higher. This is because I put a lot of this together yesterday. Um, nominal ten-year yields went through four seventy, and just from a kind of historic point of view, um, someone actually said yesterday, quite funny, like, "Have we reached um, peak? Kind of not since not since this date, itis." 
Uh, but yields haven't <laughs> been at this level, so I'm going to succumb to this. Yields haven't been at these levels for context since August 2007, 16 years ago, or in the case of the TIPS yields, December 2009. So that is a, a long period of time, and that shows you the massive change in, in sort of the in asset markets that we've been facing this year. Um, now, just going back to sort of maybe from a more technical point of view, um, last time we spoke, the gold price was um, around about uh, and not breaking above or not closing above the daily Ichimoku cloud. And the price couldn't break above it, but also formed a, a, a really neat shooting star candle on the 20th, followed by a move lower, which tended to confirm that shooting, shooting star candle is a bit of a trend reversal. Um, and it's a, it's, a, it's a negative if you're in, in, if the price is trying to push higher. Um, and that was, that was certainly a, a signal that things were looking like lower. And I think the last time we spoke, I kind of thought gold was going to drop a little bit, um, but certainly did not call this or expect this. Um, just I thought it would weaken basis those, that, that kind of picture. Um, I actually expected gold would hold around about 1840. I picked that as a pretty good support line for gold. And I absolutely didn't. A reason why I did, just for uh, just because I think we did allude to this earlier, uh, the last time it was the fifty percent retracement of the move to the Q4 lows to the May twenty three highs, at least on the Bloomberg gold price chart that I have. But eighteen forty didn't hold. We've seen a low around about eighteen fifteen sixteen, and we're not too far above that now. So um, that's that's uh, I think for the first time since January. We are now closing below the weekly cloud as well. So we have closed below the weekly cloud. So that is a big change because in our previous conversations, we've always been able to draw on the fact that the weekly cloud has been this big, but somewhat remote price-wise, uh, price support, and we're now below that. Um, other things to say, and I'll go on to positioning in a moment, but just before we're actually in the middle of the uh, uh, Chinese um, holiday Golden Week, um, and before the before the uh, break, also National Day and so on. Uh, Shanghai Gold Exchange premiums had gone above 100 US dollars uh, and dropped pretty sharply ahead of the long US holiday. Um, now that to me, the premium largely reflects the inability of banks externally to complete an ARB with the overseas market, because if you could have completed that ARB if you had the quotas for the US dollar. Um, swap, uh, they would import as much gold as they could into the exchange and that ARB would sort of go back to normal levels. And the fact that they can't do that ARB, um, they can't sort of do the import necessary to sell physically um, and deliver physically into the Shanghai exchange tells, tells me that you know, that's why the, the ARB is so, has been so persistent and so wide. Um, let's just look at positioning. If uh, I know we're doing the gold rundown at the moment, so that's why I'm just banging on. Um, so let's just look at a little bit at what has been going on and some of the volume weighted average prices and so on. Um, since the 22nd of August through to the 26th of September, which is the last um, uh, COT report that I can draw on, net managed money positioning, uh, so 1.432 million ounces um, flowed in, um, and gold ETFs, 1.626, 1.623 roughly flowed out. So it's been a net outflow of gold in that period. Um, the shorts grew impressively 
uh, in the week ending the 26th of September, that's Tuesday, um, back one. And they put those shorts on at a volume weighted average of about 1944 US dollars. So those guys have made out like lords. Um, there was some long liquidation around about that level as well, about 650,000 ounces. So net change in the previous, the last week that we have records of uh, 2.4 million ounce shrinkage in managed money positioning. Um, and I could say a little bit about silver. Um, it's kind of the reverse picture in terms of positioning where shorts actually bought back 20 million ounces or 19 and a half million ounces actually at 23.55. So um, unlucky. Uh, so that's uh, kind of the reverse reverse scenario in, in terms of managed money on that uh, side. Um, on the physical demand space, it's been pretty steady rather than spectacular. And I put that down to the very, very rapid drop in prices that you had alluded to right at the beginning, that that has probably made a few people step back. And of course, we've got some holidays on at the moment as well. So there has been an increase in demand, as you'd expect. Um, hasn't been kind of earthquake level. But it might be next week. Things change. Look, Nick, that was uh, an awesome rundown, and thank you for that. And I've got a couple of places I want to take this conversation mm. from there. First and foremost, uh, I know you said, you know, we're all playing the not-since-when game. Um, the fact that you mentioned that 2007 was 16 years ago hurt very much. It hurts me too. Uh, <laughs> because that was the year I really started out in the markets, and it was like, it can't be that long ago. I'm sure of it. Uh, so <laughs> I wish that had been when I started in the markets, but I, oh, I can't wow, even say yeah. that. Well, I started as the markets crashed, so all good things. Um, so that was a big ouchie for my brain to get my head around. Now, um, you've talked about an outflow and some of the shorts making out like, like lords. Excellent turn of phrase. Don't be surprised if you hear me quote you once or twice around the interwebs. But let's talk about price targets because, as you said, for so long, that weekly cloud has been so supportive. But with such a drastic price drop in uh, a short frame of time, surely, you know, the previous technical data has changed and we're looking at um, some important different price targets now. Yeah, we are. Um, a couple of things, um, downside price targets. I'm looking kind of at the short term here, um, you know, the, the sort of stuff that's meaningful over the next week or so on. On the downside, we've got um, some pretty close targets, nothing really, really exciting, um, 1805, then 1795 and 1786. 1786 is actually interesting because that is right next to or on, depending on how thick you draw the line, the 61.8 FIB retracement of the move from the Q4 2022 low to the 2023 high, and um, at least basis the spot price feed I use because one of my uh, former colleagues at a bank uh, overseas, he said, oh, you know, like actually I actually have a print that's way higher than that on the on the high, uh, which is absolutely fair point that that can happen. Um, so, so there's a little caveat there. On the upside, of course, since we made the recent low, there's been a bit of short-term chop back and forth, and that is that kind of broadening pattern has uh, made a little bit of a um, few upside targets uh, appear. And the current area of consolidation contains targets back to just very roughly speaking, eighteen US dollar eighteen forty to through to US dollar eighteen sixty. Given the enormous pace of the decline, uh, those kind of targets. Shouldn't be any kind of support, any kind of like, you know, surprise, right? Because you should expect those, those, uh, you know, even even within a bearish um, pattern, or even uh, conversely, when there's a, a sort of a massive bull run, you should expect um, sort of, you know, nothing goes up and up or down a straight line. Um, 
and that those those short term targets, though, of course, would be knocked out instantly if the um, short term price closes below the prior low of this week. Um, so things look fairly cautious because markets generally um, remain under pressure from the really higher rate in environment, and that's you know affecting all kinds of asset markets, which I'll touch upon in a moment. Um, so, so a little bit of an awkward, well, not awkward, difficult area. You know, it's still quite brave to step in and say, right, I'm going to bet the farm on this turning around because uh, if you look at, for example, the candles that are forming on um, ten-year uh, nominals, US US ten-year uh, yield, and the tips, those candles are saying that uh, sellers of those bonds are very much in charge and very much in control and they're moving quite powerfully so maybe best to sort of wait and consider but i would say the 1787 86 level because of that big fibo number fibonacci number 61.8 percent definitely worth um keeping that in in mind putting it in a diary um i think that's kind of what i sort of think for targets and and, and a lot of the rest are probably want to talk about is really rates-based. Yeah, look, I really uh, – I think I messaged you this time last week after gold had only fallen 50 US dollars per ounce and I said, oh, my God, what's going on? And you reiterated then that this is what higher for longer looks like and the market's finally embracing that. So this is very much a rate story that we're telling today. Now, Nick, uh, you have been one of the very few voices in this space that has said, no, 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 there's no pivot, there's no – um, you know, aside from commentary that is constantly looking for when there's going to be a cut from the Fed, you have been one of those people that have said, no, no, Powell has outlaid this plan to the market and this is his commitment to it. So you've, you've been vindicated here, congratulations, um, <laughs> as gold's been taken south for the northern winter. Yes. Um, so let's talk about what this rates picture looks like. Now that the market has finally embraced what you have been talking about for 12 months, what is this US data what does this U.S. data look like that the Fed is essentially saying, no, we will continue to rate, um, increase rates, albeit a bit slower this time? Yeah, um, I did actually give up at one point, I think a few months ago, because I just thought, oh, you know, it looks like, yeah, wrong. <laughs> but, but yes, largely, <laughs> largely it has been high, about higher for longer. And one of the difficult things has been, I mean, it has been super difficult for, I think, everyone, um, has been the sort of dissonance between messaging from the Fed and the um, market expectations and normally, you know, market expectations uh, and that sort of that, um, you know, crowdsourced decision on what is likely to be right is um, usually very much right and uh, not worth going against. And I wasn't really going against it, but this, this is this, this sort of high for longer was was um, it, it just that that pivot. And you're looking now at a world where, and I know we see everything really through an American lens, but there is good. There, there sort of are good signs to think that the kind of neutral rate of interest isn't as low as it it was, and the rate of interest that the American economy and kind of the world economy can sustain uh, for sort of non-inflationary growth is a higher one. Um, but yeah, going back to sort of data this week, um, so I think at the moment it's all about looking at partly because of the data that's presenting itself. A lot of it is um, you know how good is the labour market. And how strong is that? Because, okay, if you look at uh, so far, what we've seen is really good job openings. The JOLTS data is really good. Uh, came in like 9.6 million 
and it was expected, I think, at 8.8, if I, if I miss all down correctly. Um, so that is good. It is not uh, an alloyed good because um, the, uh, uh, the, the job openings, you know, it's, it's sometimes, some people have, have cast doubts on it as being a really good time series. Um, but the point is, is it came out um, sort of strong. Then uh, later on this week, we've got ADP non-farm employment change uh, with an expectation for 154,000 jobs. So uh, non-farms on Friday, which is an expectation for 171,000 jobs. And the U.S. employment rate, unemployment rate is coming in 3.7%. Now, what we're looking for is if those, if, if particularly the first two, the, uh, the job creation, if there's a beat on those, that's really, really strong data. Um, you know, people will be looking at revisions and so on. So that's the sort of key stuff. But the unemployment, which is 3.7%, that's been really long, low for a long time. And the important thing there is that is that this is pretty much a full employment economy. So you could draw the very simplistic conclusion that any further labor market tightness and growth really feeds through um, in terms of cost pressures. So that's uh that's that's the sort of the positive news the signs that you know you know the, the people looking for signs that labor market is 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 in good shape and that seems to be in pretty good shape on the flip side the negative side um you've got slightly weakening consumer confidence and definitely people are talking about you know they're pointing out that excess savings held by households has declined uh, for a great many of those households. The majority of those households have worked through those excess savings that are, are kind of like a legacy of the COVID um, sort of fiscal transfers and that student loan repayments are going to start this month, October, um, and that's going to have an impact on households that um, have kind of run out of a certain amount of ammunition or run, that, run down the savings ratio. So is that going to impact you've got that sort of tension between what looks like a good looking labor market but a, a more fragile um household balance sheet so those are the sort of the the, the kind of like the, the narrative that's going to help form um opinions on rates and then those opinions on rates are going to reverberate through other asset markets and of course including the one that we hold dear which is which is which is gold gold and other precious metals. uh now nick in my excitement to talk about uh the, the rate story unfolding in the US right now. I did skip over silver. Now, as you pointed out before, uh, silver silver has fallen, I think, 10% in a little mm. over a week. Like it's a, it's a big fall uh, and gold has looked like silver, although, you know, silver investors should be used to big falls like that. But given that silver's gone from about 23 US dollars per ounce to its current point of around 21 US dollars per ounce, for those investors who are committed to the other precious metal, uh, where to from here? How much of the technical trend has it broken? We've gone through the, silver has gone through the uh, base of the weekly cloud. So like gold, that's a bad move from a uh, technical level. It's a big, big support. If I look at the medium term point and figure and look to that for clues in terms of targets, um, it's very clear that there are um, a couple of targets to, to uh, the 20, 30, 20, 40 level, um, which is not terribly far away, um, and that other targets suggest 1970 and perhaps even straddling the 19 level. Um, what sort of probability 
of that happening is is sort of hard to speculate on. But the point is, is that that this has been a pretty big shock uh, for for silver's price action. It's shared with copper uh, and and others, uh, as I mentioned earlier. Um, and you know, for the silver bulls, I'm sure a lot of them will welcome this as the opportunity to buy silver at cheaper levels, considering. Um, you know, I mean, considering there is a positive story about silver in the um, so the, the 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 net zero, the the transition economy, all of those things. Plus, of course, people who like silver, um, you know, will see it as a as a, as a, as a store of wealth and so on. So, you know, there will be plenty of people out there uh, who will, or there will be some people out there who will um, see this as an opportunity and not be shaken off by that. Um, but just you know, those are the levels where. You could see the market retreat to, given some of the longer-term supply tightness, demand issues, fundamental issues around silver. You know, that's that's probably would some people will welcome that because they'll say, "Well, good, I want to buy silver. And if I buy silver cheaper, then you know, all the better." Yeah, the best time to buy your favorite assets are when they're on sale, not when they're making new highs. Absolutely. And actually, right. I was just going to go back. Sorry, I was going to go that's back okay. because we were. We just talked about rates, and I just wanted to, because we've obviously, you know, talking about the importance of them, just a couple of things, you know, what are targets like on rates? Um, so uh, if I look at targets on 10-year nominals, which is really what most people look at, even though it's the reals that are more impactful for the gold price, um, the, a move higher would medium-term targets suggest 498 and 505, so say straddling 5%. Uh, Longer-term targets from the daily 505 again, so there's a bit of a cluster around there, and those clusters sometimes suggest a level that the rates can move to, yields can move to, and then move back away from, you know, as as part of a sort of wave-like trend. And obviously, this is way higher, but 537, but that's coming from much, much longer, longer longer-term targets. That could take a lot longer to play out, so that's not really, really important. Um, right now, I think the last price is about four eighty five. Just to put that for the for the for the ten year nominals uh, yield. Just to put that into context. While we're rounding out the rate target conversation, uh, have you checked on your trusty CME Fed Watch tool as when they believe when the punters believe the cutting cycle will begin? Actually, I haven't because I looked at it about a week ago, and I think that's too long ago to kind of comment now because it just you know things happen. And um, and I, I I didn't look at it just just uh, before. Our Gold's meeting fallen one hundred and thirty two US dollars per ounce. I think you might have been busy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I didn't look at I didn't look at the great CME FedWatch tool uh, for a sense of how that was, or or, or world interest rate probabilities, which is another great one for uh, you know the market assessment of when things are uh, going to fall. But I think from my memory of or my recall of the last time I looked at the WERP, um, it's uh, it's definitely sort of Q2, and I suspect that the it's around Q2, and I suspect the um, don't hold me to this, but that's that's increasingly looking, you know, if that was last week's view, that might not be this week's view. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll revisit that in a couple more weeks. Now, uh, moving forward, as we get ready to close out our podcast today. Nick, I would like to talk about the Aussie dollar um, and how it's uh, rapidly becoming the South Pacific peso once again. I have completely borrowed that phrase from a far better writer. I believe it was once called this, the Aussie dollar was once called the South Pacific peso back in 2010 or 2011. 
Um, tell me, Nick, the Aussie dollar is trading down to 63 US cents. It can't catch a bid. Hmm. Uh, you know, what is keeping the Aussie down? And given that I've currently got a US dollar order sitting in an online shopping cart right now, should I hold off? Is it going to get weaker? Trend is definitely weakening. And obviously it depends on what kind of time frame you look at it for targets. Um, you know, there, there are, there are uh, targets down to, look, the reality is when I looked at these targets, I was actually looking at something that would, would be meaningful over the next week, not necessarily the next quarter or six months, but looking at very short-term targets, you know, 6280, 6220, what comes out. And this is part of a declining trend. What is behind this essentially uh, at a sort of very sort of high level is the RBA's persistence or, you know, they, they've had, um, I guess like a, uh, well, they've, 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 they've kept rates on, on hold for the last, this is, I think, the fourth meeting, they've kept rates on hold. And what that's gradually doing is widening the yield gap between um, the Aussie and other major trading partner, partners. So that's, that the yield gap is is driving the Aussie lower. Um, on one hand, on the other hand, um, you know there is sort of persistent bad news, um, and of course, bad news around say China and so on. And also the sort of recent, you know, the, the yields going higher is not only creating a currency yield gap, but also because it's had a, a big effect on commodities. And the Aussie is a commodity currency. Um, no surprises that it's uh, it's very much on the defensive. If you look at where the resistances are from where we are here, then the short term, you're looking at like 63.93, 65.22 basis, the um, daily Ichimoku and you know, other analysis uh, sort of suggest the same. Um, one thing which is kind of a rhetorical question is, you know, is the, is the weakening AUD uh, going to feed back into the RBA's sort of assessment of inflationary pressures and i guess it might but it's too early to say um i think the rba would like to wait i think you know the market expects another another rise uh because sticky inflation may prove to be sticky unless that sort of things don't um unless you know data sort of suggests otherwise but you know, i think there's an expectation that the rba will raise one more time It'll be interesting to see that in the context of what other major central banks are doing. Um, the suggestion is that they would like to wait to see how a very, very rapid run-up in the official cash rate in the last year feeds through to the wider economy, considering um, quite indebted households, many of whom are coming off um, you know, mortgages that are taken out when the cash rate was as good as zero. So that is playing out now and has been playing out for a little while and will continue to play out for a while. So I guess it, it makes sense to sort of say, well, given that the cash rate world is so much higher uh, and people's access to finance is much more constrained, affordability is much lower, you can kind of see why they would, why the RBA would take a sort of a, a cautious uh, view to see, okay, how does this play out in terms of consumption and, and consume, you know, like household behaviors. So that suggests the weakening pressures on the Aussie are likely to continue, 
but at the same time, we should be cautious about how short investors are, whether they're meaningfully short. Um, certain um, investor categories that were slightly long have turned short fairly recently. Um, and also, given how far commodities have fallen and given that the, you know, it wouldn't be unreasonable for things to snap back, that would feed into the Australian dollar as well. Um, obviously, the um, RBA and interest rates is uh, one factor, but how much is the Chinese property sector weighing on the Aussie dollar right now? Uh, that's an interesting question, and, and my, my feeling is that it has to be weighing a fair bit for sure. And what I would say is that, you know, there's, there's a lot of bad news, and that cycle of bad news has intensified. There's been a a sort of a, a round of, um, uh, you know, like bad, there's been bad news clustering in a way that stuff that stuff that probably we would discuss a year ago or six months ago, where we, in fact, we didn't even discuss it very often because the news flow kind of dried up a little bit. We knew there was a bad story, but then nothing really happened for a little while. Um, there was reopening and people thought, oh, you know, maybe, you know, someone repealed gravity. But the reality is, is that after that moment passed, bad news came again and it started to come with a much greater, there's much more high frequency, bad, bad information, bad data. Um, and one interesting thing that I, I was looking at newswise today is that as the Hong Kong uh, market, which is not necessarily symbolic of the mainland property market, but it is a property market that was, has gone through, undertaken a huge boom quadrupled in uh, perhaps the last um, 10 or 15 years or thereabouts, uh, if you look at the property index of private property there, and it's a market that was absolutely on fire for ages, and it just, you know, kind of seemed like, um, you know, you know, when I lived there, for example, it seemed like, you know, you know markets turn, but this was not market that felt like it was going to turn anytime soon. Well, that's obviously wobbled through COVID and so on. But because the Hong Kong dollar is pegged to the U.S. dollar, of course, they're, fee they're seeing rates. Um, that's, that's having a pass-through effect in terms of rates. Now, that's resulting in a much higher level of property foreclosures. Those foreclosures, which are not – they've increased a lot, but they're not very, very many. But the point is, you know, prices get set sort of on the margin. Um, a lot of those foreclosures are not selling. They're passing in. And they're passing in at a discount of 20% to the market. So that's pretty ugly. Um, it's a unique market and it's got its own story. So you can't, a lot of people say, well, you can't like generalize that to sort of even the rest of mainland China. Um, but you have to look at it and say, well, there is a story in there. And I'd say if I was going to summarize the broader Chinese property market, I'd say let's just say that the pretense that things were going to be a smooth readjustment and you go from a decades-long hyper boom to calm waters without an intermediate shock is definitely being exposed for the wishful thinking that it is. And the real shock hasn't come. And it may indeed never come in the way that, you know, people expect or people have described in using words from previous shocks. But, you know, financial history rhymes, doesn't have to repeat. But I feel that, you know, that shock is, is, is out there. Um, and it's maybe just rumbling. Nick, that was an awesome summary there. Thank you. But unfortunately, we do need to draw today's podcast to a close. But before we do, I want to talk about some key takeaways. 
Uh, I think my key takeaway here is really gold embracing hire for longer. Mm. Uh, and I know, I know you and I have texted about this during the week, but what we're seeing, you know, these big falls that we're seeing really is about the market moving away from a narrative that has been quite persistent to accepting what um, higher rates do look like for the economy. You know, and you know, this is back to the hire for longer, which is a great phrase that I do love using. Uh, however, what would be your key takeaway for today? Or would you like to do, introduce an entirely new topic? No, this time I won't introduce an entirely new topic, but I will. I will actually uh, just, I, I guess, agree with what you're saying, which is that these are huge moves, powerful moves in the um, fixed income markets, in the rates markets, and you, you know, you have to sort of think this is again an example of when you you get like a phase change or a not very smooth transition. And now you're really seeing the impacts of, you know, what's going on in rates, um, you know, clouting other, other asset markets. And that's exactly, you know, as you said, it's and where, where this leads, not easy to say, but there's, you know, clearly uh, a degree of stress being dollar yen through 150 briefly. And um, that's just, you know, this is all part of a, just, just the rates, rates uh, sort of spasm. Uh, look, Nick, this has been an awesome chat. Uh, and I'll be honest, I'm really looking forward to seeing what gold does over the next two weeks until we can get on the mic again. Uh, I'm quite curious to see if it does get pushed down below 1800 to one of your targets that you've mentioned today. So, Nick, thanks for being here. Thanks, Shay. No, it's been good fun. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to get a better understanding of the technical indicator Nick uses, the Ichimoku Cloud. It's available on most trading platforms. Alternatively, you can check the show notes over at abcrefinery.com forward slash podcast. Here you can sign up to receive more information from Nick Frappell, including his monthly report where he incorporates technical analysis alongside macro market commentary. That's all from us today at ABC Refinery. We look forward to seeing you next time. 